The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Forty-seven yards to take the lead. High snap. Harmon's kick is good. With three seconds to go. Harmon kicks a career-long 47-yard field goal, and Central Michigan takes the lead with three seconds to play. Big kick for that young man, David Harmon, comes through in the clutch, a low kick. Looked like it just had enough steam to get through. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. We have our first of two weekly reporters' notebook segments in this podcast, featuring Steve Batterson, who looks back at the Hawks' embarrassing home loss to Central Michigan and discusses the state of Hawkeye's football. You'll also hear some of what Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz had to say on the weekly Big Ten Coaches Call. This Hawkeye's Mike football program is one in a series of our regular weekly podcasts this year, which include regulars Brent Albanad and Marv Cook, as well as several commentators and reporters, including the Gazette's Scott Docterman, the Hawkeyes' Susan Dank, as well as Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show and our other Reporters Notebook segment, as well as Brent Balbinat's Press Box Report. The Iowa Central Michigan game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with announcers Kevin Kugler and Danon Hughes. A nice job calling this disappointing game. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz participated in the weekly Big Ten Football Coaches Conference call. Here's some of what he had to say. We uh, you know, obviously had a disappointing outcome on Saturday. Uh, Central outplayed us and deserved the win, and uh, you know, the credit goes to them, so it was disappointing. And uh, you know, we worked on that Sunday and turned our sights to uh, Minnesota this week, and certainly we've uh, got a great challenge on our hands. They're, they're playing very well and uh, come in undefeated, so it's... Uh, Exciting to get into the Big Ten, certainly, and we, we've got a real challenge in front of us. Well, you know, it's always been a, uh, a rival. You know, I got here in '81. It was a rival. We played for Floyd or Rosedale, so there's uh, some added incentive, if you will, there. But uh, you know, it's always been a great series, and certainly, anytime I think uh, there's a change in staffs, that, that changes things a little bit. And Coach Kill's done a wonderful job out there in a very short amount of time. The bottom line is that they're they're not four zero by some fluke or anything like that. They, they've uh, outplayed four teams and earned four victories, and the reason is because they're playing really well. They're playing disciplined football. They play together and play with a lot of energy and enthusiasm. That's the reality of football. Whether you win or lose, you have to move past whatever you did uh, the previous weekend and you know, then focus on two things. Focus on what you need to do better internally, and then also you have to focus on your opponent. So you know, week to week, it really doesn't change an awful lot. The only, only thing that's different now is we're moving into conference play, which is, is always significant, but uh, you know, this game's every bit as important as the last one, and uh, we can't do anything about the last one now, so we, we really have to, to turn our uh, attention fully to Minnesota and see what we can do to, to be prepared for that game. 
Let's take a quick look back at some game notes and key stats from last Saturday's Central Michigan game. The Iowa Hawkeyes suffered one of the most embarrassing losses under head coach Kirk Ferentz, losing to Central Michigan 32-31 at Kinnick Stadium. The Chippewas are picked to finish last or near last in the back, and the Hawks were playing in their fourth game of the season. It looked more like they were playing their opener. The defense was shredded, the offense was inconsistent, and after starting hot quarterback James Vandenberg somewhat went into the tank. Special teams, aside from place kicker Mike Meyer and punter John Winky, inexplicably were responsible for the biggest gaffe in the game, allowing Central Michigan to recover an onside kick in the closing moments, and the coaching staff often looked confused, indecisive, and unorganized. Oh, and the mixed officiating crew? Well, it was responsible for what was probably the worst officiated game involving a Big Ten team in recent memory. Iowa now heads into the Big Ten season with its worst non-conference mark in 12 years, facing a revitalized Minnesota team with a 4-0 record and a two-game winning streak against Iowa. Key stats include Mark Wiseman having another monster game, rushing 27 times for 217 yards and scoring three more touchdowns, Mike Meyer setting the all-time record for consecutive PATs surpassing Nate Kading. Iowa was 3-for-3 in the red zone, but a deplorable 1-for-8 in third down conversions. Central Michigan was 5-of-5 in the red zone. The Hawks had one fumble, recovered by the Chippewas, but Iowa failed to get any takeaways from their opponent for the first time in 2012. The Hawkeyes nearly doubled the Chippewas in rushing yards, 215 to 111, but Central Michigan had more first downs, 24 to 19, more passing yards, 283 to 215, more offensive plays, 69 to 53, and they dominated the time of possession. 36-35 to 23-25. And penalties? The Hawkeyes had one of their worst games in years, penalized nine times, costing them 106 yards, several at crucial points in the game that really cost them. This is egregious! Do you hear me? Egregious! Time now for the first of our two weekly Reporters Notebook shows this week with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79, that's bat with two T's. Steve looks back at the Central Michigan game and more. Steve, the 2012 non-conference season is now history for Iowa, and as we enter the Big Ten season, it's kind of a good time to step back a minute and little wax a little poetic here. So before we dig into the specifics of the Central Michigan game, let's take a 35,000-foot view of the overall situation with Hawkeye football at this stage. And I guess the leading question, and, and I'll ask this question and, and look for sort of a general response and dig into it a little bit more, but how does an Iowa team playing its fourth game of the season lose to a Mac? team that's picked to finish near the bottom, if not last, in that conference. Isn't that just simply inexcusable and unacceptable? Well, it, it certainly was unexpected. Uh, you know, and I, I question whether or not we saw a real Iowa team on the field on Saturday. Uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, that really stood out to me, uh, stepping back from it uh, and thinking about things uh, on the drive home Saturday night, was uh, 
know, we saw a lot of very uncharacteristic things from that Iowa football team on Saturday, from from the lack of discipline, which led to the personal fouls, to to just kind of uh, you know brain cramps uh, on the uh, on the onside kick uh, that really allowed Central Michigan to to have a, a chance at the end of, of a game that you know for for all really intense purposes should should have been over. And you know, in, as uh, the old broadcaster Ron Gardner used to say, you know, it's time to pass the songbooks in. It, it was one of those games that uh, you know, it, it kind of befuddles you to to to, uh, to sit back and think about because it, it certainly was not uh, uh, something that I think was on anybody's radar screen. And, and somebody asked me today uh, here in our office about you know what the mood was like talking to talking to players afterwards, and, and frankly, it was shock. I, I don't think a lot of Hawkeyes saw this coming, and uh, uh, it, it's it is certain to kind of lead to a lot of soul searching, I would think, and, and probably a little more intense uh, focus at, at practice this week because uh, you know a team that uh, certainly uh, probably could have, would have, should have been at least three and one in the non-conference portion of the schedule has uh, uh, really uh, frittered away a, a, an opportunity here that, that leaves them kind of with their backs up against the wall even before the conference season starts. And one play away in the last couple of minutes of a game from being one and three too. Absolutely, yeah. yeah the, the Northern Illinois uh, game when you look back at it, and and uh, you know as well as the Iowa State uh, loss, and you know they, they've all been they've all been close uh, close games. Iowa has never had a season where they've had three losses or three games this close uh, during the first four weeks of the season. And, and I, some of that's reflected, I think, on the fact that this is a fairly inexperienced team. I'm not going to call it a young team anymore. It, there's, there's, uh, it certainly is, from an age standpoint, one of the younger teams. But uh, it, well, there have been a lot of guys on that field seeing their most extensive action of their careers, whether they be you know a senior senior in the uh, a defensive line or, or uh, you know, a redshirt freshman stepping into the offensive line as a first-time starter. There's been plenty of, of room for growth, no question. Thank you about that comment that you made there. There haven't been a lot of time to pass in the songbook games in, in recent history for a Ferentz coach team here, really. It, it's been very difficult. Uh, somebody asked uh, last week in, in an online chat if, if, if thought we would see Jake Rudock on the field on, on Saturday. And, and I think that, uh, you know, it, it certainly was uh, something I think that was kind of on their radar screen hoping to do. But Iowa hasn't been in any of those games. Everything has been kind of tightened down to the wire. And, and really that impedes development from the standpoint that, that you can't get guys the experience that will eventually help them down the road because you're not creating enough of a margin one way or the other uh, to uh, to actually get get the game experience that you would like to get for some of those young players, whether it be a Mike Malloy, who we still haven't seen on the field yet, four weeks into it, who, you know, was expected to play in the opener. Kirk Ferentz is in his 14th year as Iowa's head coach. What's your sense of the state of the program right now? And before you answer, let me just mention a few stats here to help the question be even more leading. Since uh, 2005, Big Ten teams have gone 34-4 and four in games where they've had a 200-plus yard rusher. Iowa's lost three of those four games. It's the worst non-conference start, 500 going into Big Ten play since 1990. And since the 2000 season, Iowa's lost two non-conference games only twice, 2007 and now this year. And in 2012, the schedule was set up at least to many's thinking for the first five games, essentially being all home games, if you count the one in Soldier Field, to be the easy part of the schedule. Iowa's now lost three games in the past three years, at least partially as a result of onside kick plays. And two of those are to Minnesota. Looking forward to this coming Saturday. And in games played since 2000 against other FBS teams where the Big Ten team was favored by double digits, 
Iowa's the worst in the conference. In 28 games where Iowa's been favored by 10 or more, they've lost nine. No other Big Ten team has lost more than three of those games. Three have lost none. And when athletic director Gary Barta extended Kirk's contract for another 10 years, Iowa at that point had won 20 of its last 26 games. Since that contract extension, the Hawkeyes have lost 13 games since the start of the 2010 season. Your turn. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the uh, one of the things that uh, I think jumps out uh, uh, from that is that uh, you know certainly Iowa has had its share of, of, of inconsistent play over the past couple of seasons, and, and there are legitimate and, and and not so legitimate reasons for that. And you know I, I think you could certainly point to the running back position as as one where there's been constant turnover. Um, I, I think there's been uh, you know a lack of stability there that has has led to some issues. I think there's been a, a lack of stability on the defensive line with. Which uh, uh, I, I think, you know, in part because of uh, graduation losses of guys who've gone on to the NFL, uh, I think have, have impacted things as much this season, as as well as as a coaching change that happened at the position during the past off season. There, with uh, you know, with a, a change of direction in terms of, of style of coaching and that type of thing, which uh, followed some attrition at, at that position, which I think has also been in the, has impacted things over time. Um, this is a transition year. I, I don't think that there has ever been any uh, more of a pronounced transition year, certainly not in Kirk's tenure here, and probably you have to go back to to the time when uh, when Hayden lost, uh, um, you know, Bill Snyder to, to Kansas State uh, as a coordinator uh, change at that point, and and to really find a, a season uh, without a coaching change where there's been as much transition as what we've seen right now, and I think what, part of what we're seeing is, is that transition isn't necessarily going to play out now it, it, to a degree of success that hope people would hope. Uh, it did not when Bill Snyder left either. Uh, the Hawkeyes really struggled that next season. And, um, and I believe the final record was, and I'm doing this off the top of the head, but I believe it was a 5-7 and seven type year or 4-7, or and seven, somewhere down that, that path. Not one of Hayden's more memorable seasons. Just the following year, they were right back on top of their game and, and, and things worked, worked well. It's not uh, it has not been a smooth ride the past couple of seasons for a couple of reasons. I think, one, the Big Ten has changed. I think the game has evolved a little bit. I think some of the evolving uh, uh, has led to some of the changes that we saw in the staff during the offseason. I don't think, uh, you know, I, that stuff doesn't turn around overnight, and it, it certainly hasn't, and, and my guess is there's going to be more bumps in the road as the season progresses. Greg Davis last spring was talking about the overall lack of quickness that he saw in Iowa's receivers. Uh, we've seen that play out, uh, you know, each and every week so far this fall, and, and you know, that's not going to change until new recruits get here, until new recruits pick up the system to the point where they're capable of stepping onto the field and contributing in a positive way by running routes correctly and doing the things that they need to do to, to be successful. That, that's certainly, I mean, that's just one example of kind of where this program is at, and, and I, I think Kirk kind of acknowledged last spring with, with the changes that were made, that it was time to shake things up a little bit and, and kind of uh, see what to, to reinvent the wheel, if you will, and, and uh, uh, that reinvention is, is continuing, and, and part of that process uh, involves a little pain along the way, and, and, that, and that certainly uh, was never more painful than during those last 45 seconds on Saturday. Now, not to be completely negative, but barring a near-miraculous turnaround, do you see any realistic path to this team reaching the 500 mark by season's end? I, looking ahead at the schedule, the Big Ten portion, I'm kind of hard-pressed right now to see them even getting to five victories. I, 
I think the the one thing, if there is a saving grace out there, is is that the you know mediocrity seems to be kind of running in, a, in an epidemic pro, you know proportions in the Big Ten this this fall. Uh, uh, you know you can you can you can look at it and and see game after game. There are certainly games that I will go into that you know they will not be favored in by any stretch of the imagination. But there are other games against teams that frankly haven't been maybe as productive in in a similar vein. To, to what Iowa has been, and you know that may be their saving grace in this thing. Is is that you know not only is Iowa struggling, but uh, there are a few other teams out there that aren't exactly playing at the level that maybe they anticipated playing at either. And you know, and, and I think uh, you know Minnesota is a Big Ten opener. We're going to learn an awful lot about this team this week. And you know, Minnesota certainly has shown good defensive progress. Uh, there were some junior college recruits that were brought in that have kind of upgraded the speed on the defensive side of the ball for for the Gophers, and and you know that has them at 4-0, but frankly, watching their offense the other night, especially with Marquise Gray, you know, currently sitting out with an ankle injury, uh, that offense isn't exactly overwhelming either, and uh, um, you know, this thing has, uh, you know, I think it's a winnable game for Iowa. Uh, it's also a very losable game, and I have a hunch we're going to be saying that a lot here over the next few weeks. But um, you know, it's the type of thing where uh, um, you know on Saturday whoever shows up and executes. And, and I don't think there's been a lot of teams, you know, whether you're looking at a, at a Wisconsin or or a Michigan even that that have executed at a pretty high level, or for that matter, Michigan State last weekend against Eastern Michigan that have executed at a consistently high level over a long period of time. And if you don't bring it on Saturday, you're going to be vulnerable. And Iowa found that out the hard way last week. Yeah, it's interesting. Minnesota comes in on a four-game winning streak to start the season, and they haven't played tough teams yet, really. But and given Iowa's performance really all season, not just the last game, kind of makes you wonder what the Vegas odds makers know that we don't. Because right now, uh, as we're doing this interview, I think the odds makers in Vegas have Iowa winning by six, which seems a little strange. Well, uh, you know, uh, half of that is probably because they're playing at home. I think that's probably a good two or three points out of that equation, but uh, uh, you know, and I think the inconsistency that Minnesota's had probably is as much of a factor in that as anything. Uh, um, you know, Max Schortel has, has done a, uh, uh, you know, an admirable job of leading them uh, the past two weeks since Gray went down, uh, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, in, in leading a comeback against Western Michigan in a game that, that the Gophers trail, or whether it be, uh, you know, taking uh, control somewhat early. I mean, it was it was a 17-3 to game until Syracuse scored very late Saturday night and pulled within a touchdown, but, uh, um, you know, it, it hasn't exactly been the most well-oiled Minnesota team either, and, you know, the, these games tend to be knockdown dragouts, and, and Iowa certainly, uh, I suspect, will uh, will have a little vinegar in their system, not only because of what happened last week, but there's a lot of guys on this team that remember what have happened in Minneapolis the past two years when uh, games have gotten away against the Gophers up there, and, uh, you know, a little pride on the line this week, and that, that, that never helps to provide some motivation, so we'll see where it goes from there. But I, I think Iowa's going to show up Saturday with a, a little more of a, at least a more spirited effort. Uh, whether the execution will be there, that, that's, uh, that's a million dollar question, and, and that's a question I think we're going to have all season. Looking closer at the Central Michigan loss, and I know there's been a lot of griping, arguably justifiable, about how poor the officiating was overall last Saturday, but I had that fifth on my list of reasons the 
Hawks lost. The first four in order were the defense, special teams play, coaching, and the offense. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I, I think that, you know, I think the officials tend to become an easy scapegoat for the reality of, of problems that kind of pop up during the course of, of games. It's, you know, and I thought, you know, right from the start, one of the things that Iowa players talked about almost to a man last week is the need to come out immediately and, and get in, get on the field and get off the field. And what did we see? We saw Iowa's offense come out, do a nice job driving the ball down the field, taking the 7 and nothing lead. And then we saw the defense come come right back and give Central Michigan, you know, 8 plays, 75 yards, and, 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 a, and a touchdown that tied the game. It wasn't the type of start that the Iowa defense needed to get off to. Um, you know, they were facing a quarterback who was kind of on a, on a mission himself in terms of bouncing back following a pretty embarrassing performance against Michigan State. He showed up ready to play. They came in. They came out with a good plan. I think you have to credit Central Michigan with that. They, they certainly made some plays. Uh, Iowa did not do a lot to defend, and Iowa certainly had a, a plethora of mistakes. And, and it started with the stupid penalties that uh, that Micah Hyde so uh, succinctly referred to during his postgame down comments. And, uh, you know, it, it was uh, a situation that we have not seen very often from Kirk Franz coached Iowa teams. And my, my guess is that it was one of the first things that was addressed on, on Sunday was, you know, the need to, to avoid those situations when uh, whenever they arise. And, uh, I mean, football is a game where players are going to be faced with that type of, of thing from start to finish. Uh, they've got to figure out how to how to deal with it. And, you know, to simply look the other way when you, when you find yourself in a position where maybe you have a chance to retaliate against somebody is poking and prodding in in, in uh, areas where maybe you don't want to be poked and prodded in, but uh, uh, but you've got to you've got to deal with that, and you've got to be man enough to stand up and and, and ignore it and move on. And Saturday, the Hawkeyes won. Yeah, certainly that game should be a reminder to athletic administrations and conferences everywhere that it's probably not a good idea to mix crews from three conferences for a single FBS game because that crew often looked like it didn't know what part of it or the other parts we're doing and kind of had different interpretations seeming to go on depending on which conference the officials were from. But anyway, apart from that, the, you mentioned it, and you know it was a point of emphasis all week long from Ferentz and defensive coordinator Phil Parker about having that defense get off the field quickly on the other team's opening drive of the game. And in spite of that emphasis, they couldn't do it. And really throughout most of that game, I know Ed Podolak commented on multiple occasions that the Hawkeyes' defense was making Ryan Radcliffe, the Chippewas quarterback, look like Tom Brady. Certainly had had a a wonderful game, and you know, I, I will say this though: the, I mean, the Iowa defense uh, it, it did give up some yards. Um, it, it didn't necessarily give up touchdowns at times. Uh, uh, there was a stretch of about seven or eight drives in the middle of the game where where they were able to either force you know force a punt or, or force a field goal, and you know, and I think that was certainly it gave Iowa a chance to kind of hang around long enough to you know get back into the game uh, and and put themselves in a position to win it. But then when when they need really needed to step up and make plays at the end. They, they simply weren't able to do that. And, and uh, you know, we all know how that played out. But, uh, it, you know, it certainly um, it was not a stellar defensive performance from start to finish. And, you know, I think we've seen we've seen some of that inexperience, especially up front, you know, come to the forefront the, the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, you can't be giving opposing uh, quarterbacks the kind of time that, that Iowa's been giving them, or, or, or frankly, they're going to pick you apart. And that's, and that's what we saw. 
off from from a senior quarterback who, you know, I mean, give the kid credit. He's he's had 10, 10 300 plus yard passing days in his career as a third year starter up there, and and uh, you know he almost had an eleventh one on on Saturday, and uh, you know he he was a very effective uh, very effective player for them, and and uh, you know he played like the senior he is, you know, and, and sometimes that's uh, you got to tip your cap to the guy on the other side of the field, and, and you know he stepped up and made some nice throws, but uh, you know and Iowa had some just dumb luck. I mean, obviously on their last touchdown uh, pass, I mean the defender gets kind of tangled up and falls, and all of a sudden you know Titus Davis finds himself wide open, and um, you know with a with a clear path to the end zone, and nobody within ten yards of him, and and, and that kind of stuff happened Saturday. It was kind of a quirky day from start to finish, and and uh, you know you, you you watch film, you try to learn from it, but at the end of the day, you just have to get better and be better more consistently. More from Steve Batterson after this break. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer, protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. <laughs> Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and on Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times, and listen to Brent Balbinad on Hawkeye's Mike and on the Balbinad and Brommel Camp Show weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. on KGYM, ESPN Sports Radio in Cedar Rapids, and at KGYMRadio.com. And broadcast school has really paid off. Now back to our conversation with Steve Batterson. We look at some positives from last Saturday's game, talk some Minnesota, and more. Positives few and far between, but two of them were definitely the continued exceptional running by Mark Weissman and the kicking of Mike Meyer. Yeah, and, you know, and I would throw in, into that the run blocking to the offensive line. I, I think those guys have been doing a really good job of blowing up at some holes the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, Weissman is, has certainly been the beneficiary of that, but and, and he certainly has, has been one of those backs that can find a way to you know pick up extra yards after contact that uh, you know can be so beneficial at times. Uh, I think between those two. Those two areas, along with the kicking of Meyer, I think, uh, you know, uh, those were certainly the bright spots. And, you know, Mike Meyer's developed into a really consistent college kicker over time. And, you know, it goes beyond his, his PAT streak. And, you know, when, when you're able to, to uh, you know, knock Nate Kading out of the record book uh, uh, with your consistency, that, that really says something because Kading was uh, as dominant of a kicker as, as I've seen around here. And, and you look at, uh, you know, not only uh, that, but his success on field goals. 
Dallas has, has been, you know, really solid. And I mean, he's shown growth from, from last season to this season. And, you know, I think that's something that uh, will hopefully benefit Iowa. I mean, it certainly looks like they're going to be in a lot of close games this year. And, and you would hope that having a consistent guy with a consistent leg would help you find a way to win a few of those. And, and you know, certainly he, he kind of saved their bacon against Northern Illinois early on. And, and that's, a, um, you know, that certainly is one of those days that, you know, they can look back and say, you know, Mike Meyer was, was the reason that, that they were able to walk away with a win in that one. One of the things that looked like it's been a bit of a weakness for him, it's it sort of in the last game and last couple of games really looks like it's beginning to come around, his ability to get his kickoffs into the end zone and have more touchbacks. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, I, I think some of that's a work in progress as everybody kind of plays with this new rule. Um, the, the Iowa coaches, at least preseason, indicated to, to Meyer that their preference was for him to simply drive it into the end zone at every opportunity on kickoffs. But I, you know, I think a lot of coaches are kind of taking a, uh, an attitude of kind of seeing how this thing is playing out at different places across the country. And, and you know, he hasn't really indicated whether they've changed that philosophy or not. But, uh, you know, I, it's, you know, the return is certainly, uh, um, you know, if you can bury a, a ball, there's, there is a school of thought that you can bury a ball between the two and the eight and, and get guys down to cover it quickly enough that uh, it can still be a very effective situation to, to deny uh, deny too many sort of field position and then and teams a lot of times will be willing to uh, to take a chance on a, on a run back in, in that if you're if you're good enough to be able to place the ball where you need to place it and he, he yeah, I think it's developing that trait it's going to be interesting to, that, that's going to be a season long thing I think to watch for people just to come to see you know where they go and, and how he develops and, and where other teams are are, are, are using this uh, rule to and to an, uh, to their advantage I guess is probably the best way to put it you mentioned the play of the offensive line in addition to the huge holes they had good pass blocking for the third consecutive game, no sack. Vandenberg, who seems to be a very streaky player, started off really hot Saturday at his first nine passes, including his first touchdown pass of the season. Then he kind of went into the tank. He only completed seven of 16 in the last three quarters in spite of the line, for the most part, giving him time. He looked flat out bad on a number of those throws. And in the first three games, we tended to blame the wind and talked about where the receivers getting open, creating separation, where they running the right routes, but that certainly did not appear to be the cause of the problems last Saturday. The receivers were open, some of them glaringly so. He just either wasn't hitting them or not seeing them. Yeah, I think there was a... He has shown, I think, over time kind of a tendency to lock onto a guy pretty quickly and I know one of the things that Greg Davis addressed with him early on was you know to to make sure that you you, you kind of check off on on, on everybody who's out there. And and I think we did see on Saturday where he zoned in on on a receiver pretty quickly, maybe a little more so than, than what anybody would have liked, and probably even James, once he had a chance to go back and look at some tape to, to see how open a couple of guys were downfield even further. But uh, um, yeah, the, it, it was not one of his better days, and you know it, it kind of fit them. <laughs> fit the uh, tenor of the entire afternoon for, for everybody. And one of the things I think you need to look at heading into into this weekend, uh, the two of his worst games as starting quarterback have come against Minnesota statistically. One was one was his uh, second start in, in place of an injured rookie Stanzi uh, a couple of years ago at Kinnick, uh, where he stepped in late, did not have a particularly good day. Weather, I believe, that day was a little, little chilly. And, and then uh, up in Minneapolis last year, it was kind of a struggle again for James. And 
so uh, this is this will be another critical test for him. And if he can come out and play well against the Gophers, that certainly would be a, uh, a first for him in his career, and, and uh, certainly would help Iowa's chances. I would think. Not sure I've ever seen anything much more bizarre than the series of events surrounding and leading up to that onside kick. It was I even stopped. I found myself unable to take notes about it because it was almost a surreal experience. It was like the officials weren't sure what was going on. The play clock was was running and wasn't running than apparently was when nobody noticed it and and Iowa saw what was coming three times and still wouldn't you know couldn't cover it when they ran the play for real yeah I like the fact that the play that, that Central Michigan ran was it was called Houdini I, I thought that was very uh, <laughs> accurate and you know and part of it part of it uh, part of that confusion was was created by the wind and the fact that uh, that they had to have a holder come up and hold the ball. Uh, that's something that, that a team is on a, you know, an onside kick unit, something that you probably virtually never practice with. Um, and it created a situation where their kicker did not want to kick the ball with the holder. Well, the officials finally told the kicker, you got it. You have no choice here. We're, we're saying that you're going to be holding the ball. You know, there will be a holder there. That created uh, confusion initially. That didn't uh, end. Uh, <laughs> At that point, as we saw, um, it, it did lead to a false start penalty being called because of the confusion over the clock on, on an onside kick that was recovered by Fedorowicz. But because it was a false start penalty in that situation, Iowa had no opportunity to refuse this, the penalty. So that meant that it, they were marching back five yards, and that led to even more confusion uh, that we saw transpire as, as you know, Zach Derby and, and George Krieger Koble were, were the two guys that two front guys there on the on the right and left side and Derby their role in that situation is primarily to block and uh, Derby was fully executed in a block as he was moving away from the ball Krieger Koble was a little closer to the ball but he was kind of moving into a position to block somebody and may or may not have had a chance to, to get to it cleanly and and Sidorowicz was a good seven yards downfield just kind of waiting for it to come him come to him as as uh, the Central Michigan guy flew in and, and recovered the Football, which he certainly had a right to at that point, and and uh, it, it was a it was it it looked horrible on video. It it was horrible <laughs> to watch it transpire on the field. There, there probably are valid explanations for why the two front guys weren't exactly chasing after the ball, but uh, uh, you know I, I think in Fedorowicz's case, it, it probably can best be uh, laid at, you know in terms of being a brain cramp at that point, and and uh, he was not one of the players who we had a chance to speak with following the game on Saturday. Uh, it will be interesting to uh, uh, to hear his comments on, on what transpired there when we do get that chance, and it will come up, I'm, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that uh, you look back on it and you say, how can this happen? But, uh, you know, it, it, it happened. You know, And then at that point, you know, you got to go play defense, and Iowa didn't. Uh, and then to make matters worse, then they had another personal foul uh, that really put Central Michigan on a third and six incomplete pass. It put Central Michigan in a position to, to make one more play, a nine-yard run by the quarterback on the first play of the next series, and, and which set up a, uh, an awful-looking field goal. I mean, that snap was high. The kick was low. Um, it barely had the distance, but it was enough to beat Iowa and put an ugly ending to an ugly day of football at Kinnick. Yeah, that 
last personal foul, that was, in my opinion, a horrible call. But what was worse was what led up to it, where there was it was egregious holding that wasn't called on that Central Michigan player. And in fact, he actually tackled Gaglione, threw him to the ground and flopped on top of him. It, it's really hard for defensive holding to, you know, to be for an offensive guy to get a holding call in that situation. It doesn't, it doesn't happen very often. And uh, should it? Yeah. I mean, I'll, you know, I think there was one call earlier on a defensive holding situation that, that made some sense. But yeah, it was it was not a, a good situation. And, and, and Gaglione, in speaking with him after the game, indicated that he felt like he kind of got poked in the eye by the guy and, and decided to, you know, take out his frustrations a little bit. And he realized, that, you know, especially in retrospect, it, uh, it was not the smartest thing to do. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully, you know, you're talking about a guy who had not played in a lot of games up to that point and, and at least seen, you know, he's got certainly some starts under his, his belt now, but you would you would expect a guy who has, has been in the program as long as he has to, to be able to avoid the situation, and, and, and certainly that didn't happen. That so-called block looked more like a move from professional wrestling, but anyway. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, that, you know, it happens sometimes that right. way. And, but, uh, but the problem is in those situations, and a lot of times that initial action may catch the corner of the eye of the official, but what the official is actually seeing is what transpires at the end, and what he saw at the end was Gaglione trying to get even. <laughs> One kind of interesting sidelight that's sort of been lost in all of this is is the possibility that John Winky may have become the starting punter here. He, Connor Kornblatt, only had one punt Saturday. It was a 30-yarder, as I recall. And then Winky punted every time after that and not only was good at placing the punts, but had a, averaged over 40 yards a kick. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, the depth chart this week indic- indicates that Kornblatt is, is the starter again, but it will be interesting to, to get Kirk's thoughts on that and, and to see how things play out on Saturday. I, you know, I think it's kind of a, a situation where there's a, kind of an ongoing competition in, in practice. Uh, they obviously have been generally pleased with what they've seen from, from Connor so far as a, as a true freshman, but uh, he certainly has had a couple of uh, clunkers here in uh, the last couple of uh, games. And, and you know, I, I, again, it comes down to consistency and performance and execution. And, and, you know, Iowa has shown over time that if you don't perform consistently, uh, your, uh, your spot in the lineup is is subject to change, and um, it, it will be interesting to see how it plays out on Saturday against Minnesota. Before we wrap up here, you have to take a critical look at, at the coaching Saturday in all three phases, really. But what was striking to me was the fact that several times, not just on the we're changing our mind on going for it on fourth down versus trying a field goal, but some of the defensive schemes a couple of times, uh, some offensive play calling, especially towards the end of the first half. I mean, there were several times that the coaching staff didn't look like it was prepared for the game and looked somewhat confused and disorganized. There were some head scratchers on Saturday, no question. And, and uh, you know, I, I think uh, you, you kind of have to wonder where guys were coming from and what the thought process was. And we don't get a chance to talk to the coordinators after after games. And, and you know, the, those are questions that would be interesting to find out uh, you know, what, what their thought process was at that point 
moment in time and, and what they were trying to accomplish there that maybe did or did not play out on the field. And it certainly, uh, you know, there were, there were some situations I think that they had to do it over again. They'd probably change, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, you're based, uh, your, your job performance is based on what transpires on the field. And, and frankly, uh, uh, what transpired on the field wasn't very pretty in a lot of areas. And, and play calling uh, was one of those areas, no question. Last, but not least, does this game Saturday against the Gophers have a must-win feel to it? To you, I, I think it's it's a it's a for a couple of reasons. I think it's a it's a must-perform well game. Um, yeah, I think it's probably as close to a must-win as, as any game in September can be. It is still September, and it, it seems strange to be preparing for a Minnesota game in September. But this is a game where Iowa, heading into a bye week, really needs to to get its ship righted a little bit. And if they can do that, uh, you know, and, and find a way to, to win the game, and it certainly creates at least a little momentum going into what should be a fairly intense week of practice, I would think, next week. Um, if they can go and compete well, come close, but maybe not win, I think you can still take some good positives in terms of growth. Uh, and that would be particularly on the defensive side of the ball. This is a week where the defense really needs to step up and, and kind of elevate its game from what we've seen so far and you know if they can do that you know and and maintain it over four quarters i think you know win or lose i think you can probably take some things from from it but uh in in terms of of you know having a chance to to finish over 500 in the big 10 uh in terms in terms of having a chance to uh you know to have the kind of season that maybe some iowa fans uh, uh expected uh, this team to have whether it be realistic expectations or not it, yeah that does turn this week into, into kind of a a, a must-win situation. I want you to kill every gopher. The little brown furry rodents. <laughs> Fourth down and a yard. Iowa will go. Rodgers in at fullback. Wiseman, the running back. Tavon Smith, the lone receiver to the top of the screen. Wiseman, the carry. He's got the first down and into the clear. Not only a first down, but a touchdown. Talked about Mark Weissman making the first defender miss or punishing that guy, and he does that, accomplishes it, and is able to keep his balance and squirt through for the touchdown. HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. Hawkeyes Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs.
Our thanks again to the BTN for the game highlights this week, and thanks to Steve Batterson, some really interesting stuff in the show. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you will come back for more, and that you will participate. By phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows, call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.